everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than four thousand years all the way. George John Dicks on Route 66. Hey everyone, welcome to week 25. And we are continuing our journey through the book of Psalms this week. It's just going to be one awesome psalm after another. It's almost like overdosing on some really rich chocolate cake because every single one of these psalms just has so much in it. And so it's for me, it's just even tough figuring out what parts of the psalms I want to talk about this week. We're going to be starting in Psalm chapter 21, working our way up through Psalm 57. And as we continue to work our way through the Psalms, one of the most important questions we can ask about this Hebrew poetry is this. How do these words spoken by God's covenant people to God himself function as a word from God to us today? Now, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I do want to point out that what we are reading here are many times inner reflections of God's people as they think about difficult circumstances in their lives. And and while they don't function primarily, maybe as, as great sections for core doctrines of Scripture, they do show us many times how those core beliefs of Christianity apply to our lives, how they're lived out in the everyday world. They give us uh, some words to express our joys and our, our sorrows, our successes and our failures, our, our hopes and our regrets. They put it within the wording of God's covenant, and they, they help us to express ourselves in that way. Now, one of the things that we said last week is that the Psalms themselves are musical poetry. They're Hebrew poetry. And it's a way of addressing the mind through the heart. The language of of poetry itself is something that really is an expression of the heart. But it's also stimulating our mind. It's helping us to think more clearly about the world around us and about the creation around us and ultimately about about the creator himself. Another thing we mentioned last time is that we want to pay attention to the types of psalms. There's many different kinds of psalms, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But as you're reading through each psalm, a good question to ask yourself is, What type of psalm is this that I am reading? What are some key words in it? So some kinds of psalms that we might come across are laments. These are the largest group of of psalms in the, the psalm hymn book here are the laments. And they're really the expressions of people as they talk about their struggles, their suffering, their disappointment to the Lord. And sometimes there's even corporate laments where Israel itself is is lamenting over a situation or a problem. 
There's Thanksgiving Psalms where the psalmist is expressing his thanks to God. There are hymns of praise. These would have been used in the in the corporate worship. Many of them focus on God as creator and that he is to be praised because of his protection of Israel itself as, as God's covenant people. And so he deserves our praise. There are a number of psalms that are salvation history psalms. They kind of are a, a retelling or a recasting of, of God's work in history to preserve his people. There are psalms of celebration, such as the coronation of a king. There are royal psalms. There's psalms of affirmation, the God's people renewing the covenant on Mount Sinai. Those are some of the major categories of psalms. So you can just ask yourself as you're working your way through each psalm, what type of psalm is this? So let's look at a couple of psalms. There's so many good ones this week, but I've selected just a couple to talk about in more detail. Let's start with Psalm 22. Very famous psalm. It starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a psalm of David. David wrote it. And one of the things that immediately we think about this psalm, we think of Jesus's words on the cross. But before our minds go to the New Testament and go to the cross, let's first pause, take a moment to consider this psalm in its original context as a psalm of David. David is expressing godly suffering, that he's been victimized by vicious and and prolonged attacks by his enemies, and he's crying out to the Lord to deliver him. Well, one of the first questions we want to ask is, what type of psalm is this? Psalm 22 is a psalm of lament. And the different types of psalms actually follow different patterns. And I'm just going to talk about for a moment here, a psalm of lament and what the pattern is. So when you come across a psalm of lament, you'll be able to recognize it and you'll be able to recognize the pattern. A psalm of lament always starts off with the psalmist identifying the person to whom the psalm is prayed. This, of course, is usually the Lord. It says right in verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there's the complaint section. This is where the psalmist honestly just pours out his heart, pours out his complaint, forcefully telling the Lord what the trouble is and why the Lord's help is being sought. And right away he says, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. And he goes on for several verses explaining his complaint. Then the third section of a lament is the statements of trust. The psalmist will express his trust in God. It serves as kind of the foundation for his complaint that he trusts in God to answer his complaint. He says in verse four, in you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were saved. In you they trusted, and they were not disappointed. David calls upon these events from history as a reaffirmation, as a reassurance to himself that just as God saved his forefathers, God would deliver him today. 
The next section is that of deliverance. The psalmist cries out to God for deliverance from the situation described in the complaint. He says in verse 19, For you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. The fifth movement in the lament psalm is that of assurance. The psalmist expresses his assurance that God will deliver him. This assurance is sort of like an expression of trust. He says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. Finally, the sixth aspect of a lament psalm is that of praise. The psalmist offers praise, thanking, and honoring God for the blessings past, present, and future. And David does just that. He says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his light righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. So that just shows you kind of one example of how these psalms actually follow a pattern. And we're not always aware of what that pattern is. But the, this is the pattern for a lament psalm. There are these six movements in it, and we illustrated that through Psalm 22. And now we can briefly consider how this psalm is used in the New Testament. We've taken some time to understand it on its own ground, on its own footing, in its own context. But this, it is interesting to note that this psalm is quoted several times by New Testament authors, Psalm 22 and also Psalm 69, especially as it pertains to Jesus at the crucifixion. There's these words that David opens the psalm with that Jesus uttered on the cross. It's, it's a very interesting parallel between the Old and New Testaments. Now let's talk for a few minutes about Psalm 23. Now I'm a little hesitant to even try to tackle this psalm because it's so beloved, so famous, and I'm sure that many of us memorized Psalm 23 as children, many happy memories associated with it. But I just had a few thoughts to offer about this well-worn psalm. It begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This typology of of the shepherd is so powerful and is often used in scripture. God associates himself with the shepherd. In the Old Testament times, it's, it's a little more difficult to tell how shepherds were 
looked upon in in the culture but by the new testament period shepherds were definitely at the low end of the social ladder they were considered to be unclean because of their constant interaction and touching and defilement with the sheep and their bodily functions and so to be a shepherd was in new testament times just a very lowly unclean profession and yet this is the very profession the very identity that god himself the creator of the universe who sends his son into the world he he identifies himself with the shepherd this very humble lowly state and he says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and in the first part of the psalm he's just talking about all of the ways that the shepherd provides for his needs and that God is the shepherd of his people. And then when we get to verse 5, it's amazing because the scene changes. We go from the shepherd motif in verses 1 to 4 to sitting at the king's table. So this is no ordinary shepherd. This is a shepherd king, exactly like Jesus comes in the new testament in the flesh he is that shepherd king verses five and six david is sitting at the king's table where there is an abundance and he's being anointed with oil which would have been a, a customary practice for for a guest to, to make them feel welcome he he's just overflowing with blessings and the picture here is that the shepherd king is receiving at his table David as sort of a vassal king. And here's David. He's the, he's the greatest human king that ever lived in Israel before Jesus. And yet he's the vassal to this shepherd king. And he's under the protection of the shepherd king. And in the ancient Near East, covenants were often confirmed with a meal that would express the bond of friendship and, and covenant relationship that was being established between two parties. In this case, the shepherd king and the vassal king. Just such powerful imagery there in Psalm 23. And this isn't to bog you down or anything, but it's just to... to pointed out to give you some of the backstory you know most of us don't go around reading Hebrew poetry every day you know if you're driving around in your car you don't always take the time to look under the hood to see what's going on under there you're just sort of driving it down the road and you're enjoying it and and going on your trip but every once in a while it's good to take a look under the hood it's good to see how things work and the mechanics of what goes on in there and it just adds to the beauty of it well, that's kind of what we're doing here by looking at some of the structures of these psalms. We're just taking a moment to pull off to the side of the road, pull up the hood, and understand the workings of the car so that we can see how truly beautiful these poems are. Well, that's it for now. When you get to the end of the week, we're going to be pretty much at the halfway point. It's amazing. Keep it up because if we're halfway, 
you can make it you can do it persevere keep putting one foot in front of the other if you get behind just skip ahead and catch up to where we are the most important thing is to keep going on the journey enjoy the ride as much as you can along the way i'm so glad to be here with you and i look forward to continuing our journey next week we'll see you then god bless Sea and Jerusalem City is not a pretty sea. Mount Nebo, Sidon, or Jericho. And the accessory, and don't forget, go, go.